Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Y'all, welcome to church. So glad you're here. And in case you don't know me, my name's Kate. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And at No Limits, we're here to help you know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. And the bottom line is, we want you to come in here on Sundays to get equipped to go out and make a difference for the kingdom of God. That's why we're here this morning. And today I'm continuing a series about the end times. And although many of you may have been avoiding the subject, maybe the same way you avoid the whole government situation that Chris was just talking about, you're going to find the series to bring you great comfort because God promises a special blessing for those who engage in this message. I've shown you guys this the past few weeks, but let's look at it again. Revelation 1-3, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. This means I am blessed for bringing you this series, and you're going to be blessed if you take what these messages say and do what the Word of God says. So who's ready to be blessed today? Yeah, we got a blessing in store. So we've already talked about the signs of the end times. Last week, we talked about the rapture of the church. And today, we're going to dig into the timeline of the end times and the tribulation. So I put together a timeline to help you understand how all this is going to play out. And by timeline, I mean a chain of events not specific times. The interesting thing about Bible prophecy is that we can know what's going to happen next. We can know what's going to happen next, but we don't know the exact time that it's going to happen. This is true with prophecy the Lord gives me in my own life as well. He'll tell me what's going to happen, and I assume what time it's going to happen, and I'm almost always wrong. Every time. Sometimes by years, sometimes by months, but I'm usually wrong. So when you hear somebody give you a date that the rapture is going to happen... Take it with a grain of salt. They're probably wrong. But here's the chain of events. Look at this. Getting so detailed here. This is quite the timeline. So we are currently in the church age over there on the left. We're going to start on the left and move to the right. As noted by the red dot, you are here. All right, this is where we are. The next thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church. And if you want more details on why I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, just go listen to my message from last week. I'm not going to get into that again. You can just search for No Limits Church on YouTube and you'll find it. But as soon as we are raptured, you see, whoo, we go up and we go immediately to the judgment seat of Christ. This is not to judge whether you're saved or not. Because salvation is a gift that can only be received by believing in Jesus Christ. Plus, the only people who are going to get raptured are those who are saved. So the simple fact that you got raptured means (laughs) you're good, all right? You're saved. So the judgment seat of Christ is not to determine whether you're saved or not. Your salvation is secure through your faith in Jesus Christ. But you will be judged for what you did here on the earth. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we've done in this earthly body. And some might read this and think, okay, so if I've done good, I'll be given a pass into heaven, and if I've done evil, I'll be kicked out of heaven. But that's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is written to believers whose salvation is secure because they believe in Jesus Christ. They will spend eternity in heaven, but first they must give an account for what they did while they were here on the earth. And the Apostle Paul, he relates our earthly lives to building a house. 
There's a variety of materials that we use to build our houses. Some are better than others, but the most important thing is the foundation, right? Whenever you're building a house. And here's the cool thing. All believers are building their lives on the same foundation, Jesus Christ. It's a firm, it's a solid foundation. Nobody can destroy it. But it is important that we give attention to how we're building on this foundation. The Apostle Paul explains why in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. This is a clear explanation of the judgment seat of Christ. It's extremely clear that even if everything is burned up in that judgment, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And on this judgment day, Jesus is going to blast this earthly house that you built with fire. And then everything you did that was worthless will be destroyed in a second. And then you're going to look around and see what's left. Is is anything left? And you'll receive a reward for the good things that you did while here on the earth. This scripture makes it clear that some people are going to look around after that fire with nothing left to show. It's all going to be burned up. And that's not going to be an easy thing to take. It's going to feel like you suffered great loss. So don't let that be you. Make it your goal to have lots of gold, silver, and jewels left over at the end of that fire. Let's not enter heaven like somebody barely escaping through a wall of flames. Let's enter heaven with a truckload of rewards. Anybody with me? All right, let's do it. All right, back to the chart. After this day of judgment, we will enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see at the top there. And while the earth has experienced tribulation, we'll be having this seven-year feast with the Lord. The marriage supper of the Lamb is revealed in Revelation 19. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. We are his bride. Amen. Yeah, getting excited about that. Of course, just like the rapture, there are disagreements on when this is going to happen, when this is going to take place, but I'm going to explain at the end of my message today the strongest evidence that we have in the Bible that proves that the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be happening during the tribulation. All right, but we're going to move on. While we're enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb, the earth will be suffering through the tribulation. The tribulation is split in half. The first half will be somewhat mild compared to the last half, although those experiencing the first half will probably think to themselves, it can't get any worse than this. It all starts with the Antichrist coming on the scene and he's going to promise peace and the world's going to buy it. But his counterfeit peace will be short-lived. It won't last for very long. Almost overnight, peace will be stripped from the earth and common decency and human kindness will become a vague memory of the past. Nation will go to war against nation. Children will rise up against their parents, neighbors will against neighbors. We've seen a taste of this already, but in the tribulation, it's not going to be an isolated act of violence here and there that we hear about on the news. It's going to be happening in every neighborhood. It's going to be awful. Then the world will experience global famine. Not one nation will go unaffected. And during this time, people will have to work an entire day just to pay for a loaf of bread. At this point, animals will start attacking and killing humans. Animals will turn against man. And to top it all off, everybody who does not take the mark of the beast will be martyred. They're going to be killed. And when it comes down to it, one quarter of the population will be wiped out in the first half of the tribulation by war, famine, and wild animal attacks. And this is just the beginning. At the midpoint of the tribulation is what's referred to as the abomination of desolation. 
This is when the Antichrist goes in and he takes over the temple in Jerusalem. The temple, which is created to worship God, is going to be raped, for lack of a better word. It's going to be awful. And, and the Antichrist will take over God's city of Jerusalem and build a statue of the beast in the temple. This is the event that triggers the last half of the tribulation. It's called the Great Tribulation. And it's going to be the worst three and a half years in human history. One third of the vegetation on the earth will be burned. One third of all living things in the sea will die. One third of the drinking water will become bitter and kill those who drink it. One third of the day will become dark. We're talking about where there's no light coming from the sky at all. One third of the day in complete darkness. After this, the bottomless pit will be open and locusts will descend on the earth to torture people. And these aren't your normal locusts. You're like, well, that doesn't seem so bad. It's just a locust. These locusts will have the face of a human and teeth like a lion. They'll have tails that sting like scorpions and they'll torture people for five months, but they will not be allowed to kill them. And the Bible says that in those days, people will seek death, but will not be able to find it. After these five months of torture, God will release four angels to kill one third of all the people on the earth. Then at the very end of the tribulation will come seven final plagues in quick succession, one after the other. Everyone who took the mark of the beast is going to break out in horrible sores all over their bodies. Everything in the sea will die. Everything. The entire sea. All the drinking water will become blood. The sun will scorch everybody with its fire. All those who took the mark of the beast will be grinding their teeth because of their pain and their sores. And then the kings of the earth will gather for the greatest war ever fought, referred to as Armageddon. Lastly, an earthquake unlike any other will shake the entire earth. Every city will be destroyed, every island will disappear, and every mountain will be leveled as 75-pound hailstones fall from the sky. At the end of the seven-year tribulation is the return of Christ. He will come back with eyes of fire, and he will destroy the beast. He will destroy the false prophet, and he'll destroy everybody who worshiped the beast. We come back with Jesus to rule and to reign for a 1,000-year period called the millennium. I'll get into the details of that next week. After the thousand years is the final judgment where everybody who rejected Christ will be sentenced to eternity in the lake of fire. And at this point, the earth will be destroyed by fire. For those of you looking for global warming, this is when it happens. Just so you know, we're a ways out. And then God will create a new heaven and a new earth. This will complete a 7,000 year trip from the Garden of Eden to the end of the millennium. At this point, eternity will begin. Time will end, and we who put our faith in Jesus Christ will be forever with the Lord. Amen. Now, let me explain the 7,000-year trip that I just mentioned. When God created the heavens and the earth, he established a seven-day rhythm for us to follow. He, he took six days to create the earth, and then he rested for one day. Anybody remember that from Genesis? Likewise, we are to work six days and rest for one. This day of rest is called the Sabbath. And if you're not following this rhythm in your life, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Working for six days and resting for one is God's rhythm. It's his rhythm. He set it in motion. Yet most Americans work for seven days and rest only when they're forced to because of a health emergency or because they burn out or whatever. And I've taught on the gift of Sabbath. Y'all, it's a gift. It's not a regulation. It's a gift. I've taught on it many times. You'll find those messages on our YouTube channel as well. But do yourself a favor and do it God's way. It works. God's rhythm of time is work for six days, rest for one. Work for six days, rest for one. And now let me show you something else about God's perspective of time. Second Peter 3.8. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day 
is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. You know what this is saying is that we perceive time differently than God perceives time. We always feel like he's being slow, but from his perspective, things are moving along very quickly. Keep these two things in mind as I show you the next chart. Number one, God's rhythm of time is to work for six days and rest for one. And number two, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. So time started when God created Adam around 6,000 years ago. We'll call that day one. And then for 2,000 years, men just did what they thought was best. And this was called the age of chaos for obvious reasons, right? And then God gave Moses the Torah or the law. And this includes the first five books of the Bible, which gives us instructions on how to live godly lives. And this began a 2,000-year period of the law. And at the end of that time, the Messiah came, which is Jesus, and ushered in the church age, which is also referred to as the end of days. We are now at the end of the end of days. We will soon be raptured. The seven-year tribulation will take place. And then comes the millennium, which will be like a Sabbath, the seventh day. At the end of the millennium, God's design for time will be fulfilled and we will enter into eternity. So since a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, this is his seven-day timeline for the earth fulfilled in 7,000 years. Pretty cool, huh? Everyone who enjoys a good chart is feeling very fulfilled right now. (laughs) Kate has never brought charts before, and I'm so happy. And the rest of you are hoping that I don't have a third chart. And the good news, those are the only two charts I have for you today. Now I'm going to walk you through a Jewish wedding to help all my non-chart people understand the timeline of the end times. A Jewish wedding is nothing like an American wedding. This really puts us at a disadvantage when Jesus uses his wedding symbolism because it just goes whoop <laughs> right over our head. After I explain this to you, though, those scriptures are just going to come alive, and they're, they're beautiful. So a Jewish wedding, it all started with the betrothal. The groom would leave his father's house and go visit the bride, and there they would enter into a covenant together. They sealed the covenant by drinking a glass of wine together, and at this point they were officially married, but the marriage would not be consummated until later. In other words, they were committed before they had sex. And for all the unmarried people listening, this, this is still a great strategy. It's a great strategy. Save the sex until after you've committed to each other in marriage. Then the groom left the bride to go prepare a place for her. They agreed not to drink wine again until he had come back to get her. It would take the groom about a year to prepare the bridal chamber. In other words, they entered into the marriage covenant and then didn't see each other at all for an entire year as he was preparing the bridal chamber. To make things even more shocking, no one knew the day the groom would come back to get his bride because only the groom's father could decide when that day was. The groom would be working on the bridal chamber. The father would be inspecting it along the way. And when the father thought that it was ready, he would say, go and get your bride. When it finally came time, it would usually happen in the middle of the night. The father would give the groom the go ahead and then the groom would gather the wedding party and they went down the street blowing trumpets and yelling, the bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. The bride had to always be ready because she had no idea when the groom was coming. So she slept in her wedding dress. Hopefully they were more comfortable back then than they are now. (laughs) Sam, could you imagine sleeping in your wedding dress? 
And the bride would keep a lamp lit all night long, every night, because she had to be ready in a moment's notice. As soon as she heard the trumpet, she had to run out and she had to meet her groom. And then they went back to the groom's father's house for a seven-day wedding. Reminds me of something I mentioned earlier, the marriage supper of the land, lamb during the seven-year tribulation. Now let's look at something Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, and this was after the resurrection. In John 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also trust in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now that you understand a Jewish wedding, doesn't this scripture come alive? That's what he was referring to. We are the bride of Christ. So if you want to understand the timeline of the end times for the church, how's the church going to go through this? All you have to do is examine where are we in the Jewish wedding process. Our groom went to prepare a place for us. And as soon as his father gives him the green light, he's going to come and get us and take us back to his father's house for the wedding, known as the marriage supper of the lamb. A Jewish wedding lasts seven days. Our wedding with Christ will last seven years. While the earth is in tribulation, we will be feasting and celebrating with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me show you something, some more wedding parallels in Scripture. So shortly before the crucifixion, Jesus had the last Passover meal with the disciples. And take a look at what happened. You find this in Luke chapter 22. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. Another wedding parallel. Jesus left his father's house to come visit his bride, the church. He made a covenant with us when he was here on the earth. And then he shared a glass of wine with his bride, and he promised that he would not drink that wine again until he'd come back to get us. When teaching about the end times, Jesus, when he was teaching about it, he shared a parable about ten virgins in Matthew 25. Yet another marriage parallel. Let me read it to you. This is out of the message translation. God's kingdom is like ten young virgins who took oil lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were silly and five were smart. The silly virgins took lamps but no extra oil. The smart virgins took jars of oil to feed their lamps. The bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him and they all fell asleep. In the middle of the night, someone yelled out, He's here! The bridegroom is here! Go out and meet him! The ten virgins got up, got their lamps ready, the silly virgin said to the smart ones, Our lamps are going out. Lend us some of your oil. And they answered, There might not be enough to go around. Go around, so go get your own. So they did. But while they were out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived. When everyone who was there to greet him had gone into the wedding feast, they shut the door. And much later, the other virgins, the silly ones, they showed up and knocked on the door saying, Master, we're here. Let us in. And he answered, do I know you? I don't think I know you. So stay alert. You have no idea when he might arrive. So like I explained earlier, the bride's job in this wedding process was to always be ready for the groom's return. She slept in her wedding dress, right? In this parable, Jesus reveals that around half of the church is not going to be ready. Ouch. They're going to be left behind for the tribulation while the rest of us are enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the question is, 
how do we make sure that we're ready (laughs) when he comes to get us? I'm going to give you three things, and you might want to write these down. Number one, remove your dirty clothes. Jesus is not coming for a disheveled, dirty bride. He's coming back for those who have removed the dirt from their lives and embraced the way of Christ. I want you to take a look in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Can you see how Satan is using the woke church to turn people into the silly virgins that scripture talked about? They're being deceived into thinking that living a life of sin has no consequences. The woke church proclaims like, just say you believe in Jesus and then live how you want. He understands. Those words are Satan himself deceiving people. Those are Satan's words. And those who buy into it will be left behind in the rapture. They'll have another chance at salvation during the tribulation, but it's going to be tough. I want you to know that if you're one of those who sides with LGBTQ, the agenda that they have going in the name of love, you're doing Satan's dirty work. You're playing a part in causing others to miss the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're siding with abortion, you're doing Satan's dirty work. If you are fussing at people or allowing yourself to be jealous of other people, you're doing Satan's dirty work. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Remove them and clothe yourself with the shining armor of right living. The way you live will determine if you're one of the smart virgins or one of the silly virgins. So who do you want to be, smart or silly? Don't believe the lie that choosing a life of sin has no consequences, because it surely does. The only people ready for Christ's return are those who have come under his lordship. If you truly believe Jesus is who he says he is, you'll follow him. By following his word. I'm not saying that you have to live a perfect life, but what I am saying is that when scripture reveals something in your life that's contrary to the word of God, you don't, you don't keep embracing that. You try to get it out of your life. You work hard to get it out of your life so you can embrace God's way. Number two, expect his return. This past Friday, I was cleaning up dinner after the kids went to bed. Sometimes it That has to wait until they go to bed. (laughs) Our one-year-old likes to get in the dishwasher. I mean, it's just quite the ordeal. So sometimes we just wait. So I was doing that. They'd gone to bed. I went to gather all the plates on the table. And then something caught my eye out the front window. Chris and Gina's car was in my driveway. And I was about to ask Beth, did you invite Chris and Gina over? And then I suddenly remembered, we have leadership meeting tonight at our house. Beth scheduled the meeting. She sent out reminders, and somehow we both forgot. We blame it on the lack of sleep from the newborn. So here come Chris and Gina down the sidewalk, and our house is a hot mess. I mean, come on. As you can imagine, with five kids, our house is usually not ready for guests. (laughs) But when we're expecting guests, we pick up the house. We clean the bathroom. We, like, clear all the stuff off, all the piles of stuff that are around the house. We clear all that off. We may not put it away, but we at least put it in the bedroom and shut the door. 
But take a look at what Jesus says about expecting his coming. He says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. In hindsight, I'm pretty sure the Lord caused us to forget about leadership meetings, so I'd have an illustration for you guys today. (laughs) Because we've never done that before, ever. (laughs) We are to be ready to open the door the moment Jesus arrives. So let me ask you a few questions to determine how ready you are. Would you have been comfortable if he would have come back during your activities this past weekend? Are there books or magazines or videos that you need to get rid of before he comes into your home? Do you watch TV shows or play video games where you would be mortified if Jesus walked in the door while they were on? If Jesus came back today, would you have to yell, wait a minute, just wait a minute while you hide all a bunch of embarrassing stuff like and shove it into the closet? The only people who will be ready for Christ's return are those who are expecting his return at any moment. Number three, multiply what God has given you. So one of my favorite parables is the parable of the talents. I've taught on this one many times, but did you know that it was part of Jesus's teaching about the end times? That's where it was placed in scripture. In Matthew 25, the parable starts off talking about a man going on a long trip. Jesus is talking about himself. And while he was gone, he entrusted his servants with his money. He gave one servant five bags of silver, another two bags, another one bag. And the first servant multiplied his five bags by investing and earned five more. The one with two bags went to work and earned two more. The servant with one bag hid the money and maintained what he had. Everybody remember that parable? When the master returned, he was pleased with the two servants who had multiplied what he had given them. But the master was furious with the servant who returned exactly what was given to him. He even called him wicked and lazy. The master took the servant's one bag of silver and gave it to the one with 10 bags. That'll make a socialist mad. Man. But then he threw the useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus taught this parable, he was illustrating the end times. Go back and read it in conjunction with Matthew 24, because there is no break in what he's saying between Matthew 24 and 25. 24 is whenever he talks about the end times, and then he shares several parables to illustrate what he just talked about on the end times, and this is one of those parables. If you want to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ, he must find you multiplying what he gave you. He doesn't want to find you sitting on your fanny and waiting for his return. He wants to find you using your gifts and callings to serve the body of Christ and advance the kingdom of God. So if you're overcome with laziness, like if you're sitting at home consumed with yourself and your own comfort, you're in a dangerous spot, and you should snap out of it. There's no duds in the body of Christ. No duds. We all have a part to play. Take a look. In Ephesians 4, 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. When you gave your life to Jesus, he gave you a special work to do. Awesome. And when you do that work, you help the body of Christ grow. The only people who will be ready for Christ's return are those who are working to multiply what God has given them. So this last part of my message has maybe felt a little uncomfortable. And it's really not very comfortable for me to say these things. But as your pastor, I'm responsible for urging you to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. I don't want any of you guys left behind in the rapture. If you do get left behind, please remember 
that you can still be saved during the rapture. I mean, during the tribulation. It's not over for you. You can still put your faith in Jesus Christ and be martyred. Because <laughs> that's probably how it's going to go down. But I would rather you go with me in the rapture. So let's make sure you're ready. So before we leave today, I want to help you if you found out that you need to make some adjustments today. So I want you to go ahead and close your eyes. And nobody look around during this. This is a very personal moment here. It's a time of repentance. Guys in the back, you can go ahead and play that music. Bring the lights down. Some of you may have realized you need to take off your dirty clothes. You need to say goodbye to the parties, the drunkenness, the sexual promiscuity, the immoral living, the bickering, the jealousy. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't need to know. But today is the day to repent. And by repent, I simply mean, it simply means to turn. Turn away from your wicked ways and turn to God. You don't have to waste time in regret. You don't have to make up for what you've done wrong. No, all you got to do is repent. All you got to do is turn. Say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm following God. Some of you realize you don't live expecting his return. There's some things in your life that you would be embarrassed if Jesus showed up today. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand either, but today is the day to make a decision to clean house. Get rid of everything that would be embarrassing in front of Jesus. Commit to living your life expecting him to show up any minute. Some of you may realize that you're lazy. You aren't doing your part in the body of Christ. You're living for yourself and you're addicted to comfort. If that's you, I do want you to raise your hand. Actually, I want you to just go ahead and stand up. <laughs> There's no reason to be embarrassed about this because you're going to be set free today. You see, laziness is a work of the devil. It's one of the many ways Satan cripples the body of Christ. But here's the good news for you. We have authority over the works of the devil. So if you want freedom from laziness, go ahead and stand up right now because today's your day. If you want freedom from living for yourself, stand up. Because today's your day to receive freedom from that. Thank you all for being bold. I'm going to pray for both of you. And as I pray, I'm going to rebuke that spirit of laziness so that it stops harassing you. So that you can get out there and engage in your assignment for the kingdom of God. I can sense the spirit of God just saying to you, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I love you. I'm not disappointed in you. I want you free.
So in Jesus' name, Jesus, you gave us that same authority you have, you have over the works of the devil. So I speak to this laziness and I command it to leave in Jesus' name. I command it to lift off of them so that they can be free to engage in what God has called them to do. And as the laziness leaves, God, I ask you to make it clear what their special assignment is. Show them what their special work is in the body of Christ and renew their strength. Fill them with so much energy, they don't know what to do with it. God, give them everything they need. Equip them. I know you have. Everything that they need is already there. It's on the inside of them and it's rising up right now. Praise you, Father. I thank you, God, for the amazing testimony that's going to come. They're going to look back on this day and be like, that was the day I was set free from laziness. And I was set on this trajectory to do what God wanted me to do. (laughs) God has great plans for you. He has plans to prosper you beyond your wildest imagination. You're going to impact lives for the kingdom of God. Like you can't even imagine what it's going to be like. That is his plan for you. Don't ever forget it. That is his plan for you. Don't listen to the enemy when he tells you that you can't do anything, that you're not skilled, that you don't, whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, he has all kinds of stupid stuff that he says. Don't listen to any of that. Shut it down as soon as it starts. Say, nope, God has a special assignment for me. I'm his child. He's equipped me and he's given me everything that I need to do what he's called me to do. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Y'all can be seated. Thank you. Praise you, Father. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.